Hi, everyone. Welcome to Strategy Simplified. Uh, today, you'll be encountering a different type of host. I'm Jay. I'm a student at the University of British Columbia, and I'll be going full time into Carney post graduation. I'm a longtime fan of the podcast, and I reached out to Jenny a few weeks ago to get her thoughts on how to make the most out of my 20s. And she graciously allowed me the opportunity to come on as a guest host for today's episode. And I'm so happy to share some of the insights that we got from our episode regarding Jenny's personal experiences, uh, the balancing of consulting as a career, as well as uh, some top real estate insider information uh, on how to optimize your finances. Hey, Strategy Simplified. For this episode, we'll be looking into how to best set yourself up in your 20s, both financially and otherwise. I'm Jay. I'm a commerce student at the University of British Columbia and a longtime fan of the podcast. The team at Strategy Simplified was kind enough to let me guest host this episode. Today, I'm graciously joined by the CEO of Management Consulted and the founder of MoneyCamp, Jenny Ray LaRue. Apart from helping students break into consulting, Jenny is also a writer, an entrepreneur, a politician, an investor, and so much more. Without further ado, I'll pass it off to Jenny to give us a quick introduction. Jay, I'm so excited to be here today with you. Jay reached out with a couple of specific questions about early career and life, and it was awesome to hear some of the context, which I know he's going to share with you in just a few minutes. And so we couldn't resist taking this opportunity to flip the script and have him take over the mic for today's episode. I'm looking forward to your leadership. Can't wait for the questions. I hope this gets really spicy and people enjoy listening to it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm personally such a huge believer that your 20s can really build the foundation for the rest of your life. So I want to dig a bit more into your own personal experiences uh, early on. I'd love to hear what were one or two of the most impactful experiences of your 20s. Amazing. Well, first, I'm going to just give a little bit of background of what I was doing in my 20s. I think that'll kind of provide some overarching context. So first of all, I finished college in my 20s. So I was doing my second two years of my undergrad. And I was trying to define who I was and what I wanted to do. Um, I, when I ended my undergrad, I had a very clear plan, which was to go to medical school. Um, I had one year that I took on the kind of uh, behest that encouragement of a friend of mine to travel in the year after I graduated. And so for one year after graduation, my plan was to travel, to get some cool experiences to talk about in med school interviews, and then to come back um, and do my med school applications while working in a medical center and then go to med school after that. So, you know, I had a, a perfect plan. Anybody have one of those, right? That perfect plan. And then what happened on my travels is that I kind of crashed into the world. And I, it was the first time in my whole life as a high achiever that I hadn't been paid and hadn't been graded to do something. And so I, I would wake up in the morning and I would ask this very unfamiliar question, which was, what do I want to do today? What do I want to read? What do I want to think about? Right? I, I never had an undirected period that wasn't toward a career or toward an opportunity or toward my future. It was just in the moment. And uh, that was when I connected with my love for business. So I'll share a little bit more about that in our time together. Um, I then after the trip, which was 14 countries, 
uh, over seven months, amazing experiences. Nine of them I volunteered in. So it was really kind of a, an unusual special trip. After that portion of my life, I spent about two and a half years uh, living, working, and commuting to South Africa because it was kind of complicated. I was like working with international NGOs. I got a contract with the government of South Africa. I was building a business. So there were kind of a lot of things that were going on there. And then the season after that was my time in consulting. So I worked at Bain & Company after that portion, lived in Atlanta, uh, came back to the United States after this you know, kind of pretty tremendous shaping world living experience and and lived the corporate life for a couple of years. And then at the end of my 20s was my embarkation into entrepreneurship. And so my 20s were a lot of things, right? When you say you're, I, I lived six decades in one decade, basically. <laughs> uh, and that that's not even the sum of it. So, um, so I think that one of the most important defining things, just to go back to your question, Jay, is that in my 20s, I was really willing to fully embrace radical life changes, which included location changes, it included career changes, and it included even mindset changes, right? Views on the world that were really dramatically changing. Um, in fact, I would say now I kind of started out and graduated from college as a socialist. I was pretty anti-business. I thought that business were the bad guys in the world. I came out of my 20s thinking that business are the greatest value creators we've ever seen. Uh, and, you know, so there were some, I had to be really willing to just embrace change in my 20s. And because of that, I built really remarkable experiences. I built a great sense of self-definition of who I was and why I was that. It wasn't an, an absorbed you know, mentality or an absorbed experience. It was all completely lived. And it was really the first time that I had the opportunity to own both my successes and my mistakes without a timeline. You know, I remember the first year after I got out of school, summer comes around and you've you've had summer for your whole life right ever yeah, since yeah. you were in preschool there was summer and and all of a sudden summer's not summer anymore like you <laughs> you should probably be working or or doing yeah. something right you know it's there's there isn't any like we all take the summer off moment in your 20s and you and just going through those kinds of transitions were really really shaping for me yeah, no, thank you so much for that overview, Jenny. Um, it sounds like you had such a, a full 20s and that open mind definitely is super helpful. Uh, I think one concept uh, I've been looking into is that there's no sunk cost in your 20s. I think some people, they think they picked the wrong major, they've already committed one or two years, and then you realize one or two years is nothing in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. um, would love to hear uh, more specifically what are what one of the biggest risks you've taken in your 20s was and whether or not it paid off. So Jay, I actually want to address what you said about the no sunk cost in your 20s. I think the only thing that you can do to waste your 20s is, is to make like, well, maybe there's two choices. One <laughs> choice is to just predefine everything and live by live by that script, right? Not to not to embrace the input that you're getting about yourself and about the world. I think that's one of the things you could do. Like you set out on a course and you stick to it throughout your 20s. I think you can you can run yourself into a, like early disappointment and a life that feels like it's just not going where you want it to go. Um, I think the other thing you can do is not commit to anything in your 20s. And so uh, what you know, it might sound like I didn't do that. I just want to really clarify, I committed very fully to everything that I did, but I made short-term commitments. I made one or two-year commitments to the things that I did. 
But while I was at in at Bain, for example, I wasn't thinking about what I wanted to do next. I was just a hundred percent at Bain. When I was in South Africa, I wasn't thinking about how am I going to use this at some point for grad school in the future. And that was the major shift for me that enabled me to really extract the maximum amount of value out of my twenties. Is that I was one hundred percent bought in and a hundred percent present for short term, right? And um, and I think that's been the biggest shift for me as I've moved into later decades. Is that I've kept the same buy-in, but I've just extended the timeline, right? I've, I've like, I got married. So I built a lifetime relationship. I have kids. Those are lifetime relationships. I've bought a farm that I hope I'll own for my lifetime. Those things I didn't do in my twenties. I'm kind of glad I didn't. Um, but, but the only thing that changed, it wasn't the hundred percent commitment. It was, it was just the timeline. So, um, then going back to your question about the risks, right? You know, what were the risks? I, I took massive risks and some of them <laughs> I, were like incredible failures, Just, you know, and I think I, I work really hard to be transparent about these because I have recaptured the value of a lot of these risks and failures. And I also learned from why they were risks and why they were failures. And I have worked in some way to de-risk my life, but I've also worked to embrace the chance that risk is going to lead to failure. And I think both of those have really enabled me to live a full and awesome life. I, I don't think you can run for public office without taking a risk, <laughs> for example. Um, so so one of them is that I, I moved my career outside of the traditional United States career. So moving mm. to South Africa and defining an early entrepreneurial journey was a pretty big risk. Um, and, 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 you know, early in your 20s, you have the opportunity to build career capital that you can bank with for the rest of your life. I mean, right now, I, I'm almost 18 years after I went to Bain and, mm. you know, 15 years after I left Bain, right? That's where I am in my right. life right now. Um, I, I could go to any career that Bain would lead you to now still, I can still bank on all of that time. But taking a risk before I went to Bain was a pretty, that was a pretty substantial risk because I didn't have anything to bank on. I had only my own experience, only my own success. And, and, you know, you learn pretty quickly that you don't actually have any skills coming out of university. I mean, you can think and you can write, but, but when people are like, can you do this actuarial table? No. Can you like, you know, audit this financial statement? You can't do that. Can you model this business? Like, Probably not, right? There, there are a lot of things that you can't actually functionally do, um, and so, so I was, I was kind of skillless, and mm -hmm. and and I had no bank. So, so that was one. I took a you know pretty substantial career risk. The reward was worth it to me. I couldn't have told you what it was at the time. I all I told you is I was running away from what I knew wouldn't be rewarding. I, I knew at the time after spending my time in medical practices, traveling around the world and in businesses that I was running away from a life that I thought would be mundane and too focused as an MD. Um, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've been so thankful for running from that. Um, but I wasn't running to something and, and, and that's okay. You know, that's okay. It was a risk though to do it. Um, the second thing that I did was I took some financial risks and I actually invested in a business in my 20s. Um, in my late 20s, I invested almost all of my savings into the equity of this business and it was stolen by two of my co-founders. Um, it wow. still to today has been one of my most defining experiences because um, it, it felt like all of the money that I would ever have. Right. I spent my 20s saving all of that money. Um, mm -hmm. Now that money represents less than a quarter of a year 
of, uh, right. Yeah. So, so like, it felt like I would never be able to make it back. Like I would work my whole yeah. life and I would suffer under the shame of the loss and the embarrassment <laughs> of that and the like lack of governance that led to it. And, and right. I mean, they were jerks to steal money, but, but like, there are things that you can do to help people not be able to steal your money there. But, you know, there, there were other things that, that kind of would have been helpful in that process. And I, I learned from those, but, but I, I, what I took away from it was that your timeline changes and the numbers change over time. And it was worth it for me to take that risk, to learn some things about myself. Um, and, and what I learned is that I'm not an early equity investor. I, I actually <laughs> am a, I, I'm a buy and hold investor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I am. So I like that level of risk where one out of 10 times you make a lot of money and the right. other nine times you lose it all. I, I found really, really unsettling actually. Um, and so even though there is a risk profile that's perfect for that, it wasn't me. And so that helped lead me to buying businesses, buying real estate and buying other things that I knew I could hold for a lifetime, which really mm-hmm. became the defining point in my wealth journey in my thirties. Yeah, no, we'll definitely dive into that a bit further later on. But um, I'm so glad to hear sort of two risks you've taken, one amazingly positive and one uh, maybe a bit more of a downer, yet you grew significantly from it. Um, The next thing I'd like to touch on is uh, you mentioned your love for business coming into fruition later on in your 20s. So curious to hear how that came about and how that shaped your life philosophy. Um, Yeah, going through. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I I think it's very normal that when you're in undergrad in particular, um, like yeah. when I came out of undergrad, I actually, I had the pretty rare opportunity to spend a lot of time with a very senior executive at Coke. Um, because in the summer after I graduated from college, I did an internship in DC. His daughter mm-hmm. was doing the internship. We were connected through mutual friends and they lived close enough to our house that we commuted every day. I didn't realize how amazing of an opportunity this was. And so I sat every morning in the car with him for 45 minutes and every afternoon in the car for 45 minutes. And so we would like talk about life and talk about work. And I was just, I was 1000% sold on the only place in business I would ever be willing to work was in ESG, right? And mm-hmm. or basically like a corporate social responsibility at the time we call mm-hmm. it CSR. Um, but, but it was basically like, it was taking the evilly gotten profits and like redistributing them, right? That was that that was kind of the yes, only place the I felt like I would be satisfied. And if this is resonating with you, I like I see I see where you come from. I feel like there is a sense that that we all desire that is born and and fueled in our early you know twenties for justice. And and I saw that and I felt that and I I wanted that. What I didn't recognize though is that redistribution is so far down the value chain. Um, and there's a huge difference between voluntary redistribution and forced redistribution, right? And so as I traveled around the world and I saw countries that focused on having creativity thrive, their business culture was incredibly rich. And, um, and, and the companies that focus on redistribution were basically um, creating a... a, a a barrier for entry into their market for creatives. And so the the shift for me was that I thought that business was about profit. And right. um, in in when I was about 23, I actually was in Thailand when I, it, it just clicked for me. It was like, business is about creativity. It's the greatest revelation of creativity that we have on the earth. And creative problem solving through business is the greatest force for good. 
right? It happens faster. It happens the like most sustainably, right? When somebody mm-hmm. is, and, and I just walked my kids through this, Jay, this is kind of a funny story, but, <laughs> but two weeks ago mm-hmm. we were in North Carolina and oh. there were five kids that were with us in the mountains. We all went out and got pizza in this, like, at this beautiful farm and we're sitting there and um, the kids were making imaginary pizzas, right? So they come to us and they were like, Hey, you know, we'd like to sell you a pizza. The kids have an internal fight about whether the pizza should be free or whether they should oh. charge for it, right? Hmm. And um, and so I was like, okay, everybody, you know, if you give it away for free, you can give it away once. <laughs> and if you charge for it, you can make it an infinite number of times, right? And um, and it was like that kind of shift for me of the difference between what a foundation can do in a very limited way and what a hmm. business can do in a continual way and the creative hmm. problem solving that business brings to the world. I mean, I just I, I couldn't be more of a raving fan of business, specifically small business, but also hmm. just all kinds, large business, small business, venture capital business, old family business. Right. Like I think I think that the value that business creates is really underrepresented represented, especially from celebrities and large audiences. Um, and and I, I think that we need to do a better job as business people of just exclaiming the glory of what business brings to the world. And so I, I didn't have mentors that did that. I had just an environment that was really focused on the downsides and the evils of business. And so I'm really working now to share more of that journey and that story. Yeah, no, you, you definitely seem very passionate about this topic. And, and I think the way, points you raised are very profound. Um, definitely business gets a lot of hate sometimes, but um, something to consider. So next thing I'd like to uh, move on to are really sort of the career implications between the intersection of uh, such a high burn career, such as consulting and yeah. one's personal life. Uh, so one thing that I've been really thinking about is nowadays young people are moving cities every few years for their jobs. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the impact of this on the other areas of their lives and how one should think uh, when deciding to move or not to move. Yeah, I love it. So um, the first thing that I just want to say is that I thought when I started consulting, that I had to be balanced in every moment. Let me let me describe what I was wrong about. Um, because what I thought was that like every Tuesday, I had to have work-life balance. And every week I'd have work-life balance. And every month I had to have work-life balance. I think that work-life balance is a macro decision that you make. And mm. it happens in seasons. And I'm a farmer now. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a small time <laughs> farmer, right? But, um, wow. but we have orchards and, and, um, uh, you know, cattle and sheep and chickens on our ranch and, and gardens. And, and every season is not a season for planting and every season is not a season for harvesting. And sometimes the ground rests, but in a year, our ground, our land has, work-life balance, right? Like sometimes it works and sometimes it is just like regenerating into the soil. We have a regenerative farm. And so, um, so that for me has helped me actually really understand what I think the model for work-life balance should be. What it means is you should take all of your vacations. Um, I personally instituted it when I was 18 at, at the kind of encouragement of a professor who was an incredibly um, well-renowned professor at one day of rest every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I was able to work 60, 70, and 80 hours in six days 
but still recharge for the next 60, 70 and 80 hour week. And so I don't really care, honestly, where you live or how many places you live. And I, I can talk a little bit about the impact of it. Um, I think you should live in maybe more than one place. I think you get a lot of value and insight and perspective from living in two. I think that maybe after that, you have to pay attention to whether you're running to or from something, right? Like, mm. you know, are you are you building a life on purpose or are you running away from things that you dislike? Because I think that people who find things they can dislike in any place can't flourish wherever they're planted. And so mm. um, I, I really, really value both. I value the change in perspective and I also value a view for longevity. And I don't think that there is is one right solution, but I think two or more um, is mm. kind of an optimal number of places to live. I think the more important question is how do you live well wherever you are? And and I, I've been able to do that. I, you could drop me in any place on the planet. I, I'm convinced that I could live well because I have the patterns for my life of rest. Um, I know what gives me rest. Like for me, right, um, outdoor activity like hiking or paddle boarding, um, that gives me rest with an, un I, I, I have no time, I have no technology, but I have like an unstructured um, time to do that. For some people, rest is different. It's like going to a resort and them doing nothing. I actually cook a lot when I rest. That's been a great discovery for me. So I think defining what helps you rest and then putting that into practice in your 20s mm -hmm. will serve you really well for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, then that, that's a great conclusion. And I think it's all about just being adaptable in whatever new city. Um, I personally was in a completely new city, San Francisco, for my internship this past summer. And uh, it was a very confidence boosting process in order mm. to uh, go through that, thrive in a new place, find my community. Um, and coming back to Vancouver, I just feel so much more, um, so much more self-assured uh, after going through that experience. What was so, one thing that helped you do that? Helped you connect to a, a, an enjoyable life in San Francisco? Mm, I think it was really came down to finding the right people because initially uh, going there, I really didn't know many people there. Not many people from my school go out to work in San Francisco. Um, and so having to, um, you know, reach out to people, go to new grad meetups and then really find people that I really, really resonated with. After that, I just felt super comfortable and, um, and, and like the city was home. Amazing. I love that. What a gift. Hey, Strategy Simplified. It's Japheth here. Wanted to quickly pop in here and share about our new analyst bootcamp. So if you're a, a new consulting analyst, you just landed an offer, you're starting sometime in the next uh, two to 12 months. First off, congrats on the offer. That's amazing, job well done. Secondly, if you'd like some expert help to set yourself up to uh, hit the ground running from day one on the job, then join our new analyst bootcamp. It's a live training. It's coming up uh, very soon. It's very affordable. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. Uh, but in that training, our MVB led team is going to show you uh, the keys that you need to know to uh, set yourself up for success, not only on day one, week one, month one, but also to hit the fast track for promotion once you get started. Again, we'd love to have you join our new analyst bootcamp. Uh, limited seats are available and we expect to sell out. Learn more at the link in the show notes. I think we touched on this a little bit, but 
consulting, very busy job. Uh, how should incoming full-timers set, some, set themselves up while they're still in college, while they have some free time in non-career areas or, or personal um, endeavors? Yeah. So um, the, I think the first thing is, again, just thinking of your career as seasons. No matter what career you start, your first year on the job, you're going to be bad at it. And any, you know, the challenge of changing jobs often is that you're bad more frequently at your job. Mm. You can gain a lot of rapid skill growth, but you are not good at your job, which means Mm. that you have less personal margin in that time. Um, And so for people who are constantly moving around, that can be a a big challenge. Um, For me, I had unrealistic expectations about how balanced my life was going to be. And I Mm. also had unrealistic expectations about how I prepared I was for consulting. And so looking back now, I would have spent a lot more time practicing modeling, actually. Um, and my the, the work that I did in consulting to build models has helped me do everything since then. It's helped me be incisive about data that I've identified. It's helped me build products. It's helped me identify real estate. It's helped me think about um, things in a comprehensive numerical way rather than an algebraic numerical way, which is how you're taught to think about them in school. And um, and so I would have spent a lot more time on that. And I, I actually wrote an ebook called Three Month Mastery, which is available on our oh. website, um, that is about the first three months on the job, like how to set up relationships, how to set up skills, and what you should really focus on in your first three months on the job. Um, we're actually going to be running one cohort of new hires this fall for people who are either graduating or just have graduated and starting um, so that we can walk through some of that material together and develop a great plan for career success. Because I think that's an under, you're asking the right question, Jay, but not everybody asks it. So it's kind of an under-recognized superpower if you can be prepared in advance. Yeah, no, I'll definitely have to check out that workshop and the ebook. Um, And I think for consulting, especially because reputation matters so much how you start will really snowball as you go exactly um and so yeah i think that would be a very very helpful resources for a lot of people uh the last section i want to touch on is uh, you know throughout your money camp lecture if you it's clear that you're a huge huge fan of real estate as a way to keep your wealth and perhaps even grow it um i'm curious to hear what kind of financial situation should one be in before they start especially from the lens of a 20 year old who's on a consulting BA salary. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, anytime that you can defray some mm-hmm. of a mortgage with a renter, you're mm-hmm. in a position to buy. That, that's my first advice. Um, and some of the ways that my husband and I have been able to really build wealth is that we have had people in our personal residences rent from us. Mm. And so um, if you're in a situation where you're spending two or three grand a month on an apartment and you're splitting that with somebody else, but you could pay 1500 toward a mortgage and they could pay 1500 toward your mortgage, um, <laughs> then I would rather have somebody create wealth in that way early in your life. I think that's an underutilized early wealth building opportunity. And so um, when I was in consulting, I lived alone. So the right time for me to do that was a little bit later in life. But I I think that that's kind of the first thing. Um, The second right time to begin to invest in real estate, because essentially like you could invest in real estate the first day you start a new job. You could. Um, I hope my kids will. 
actually. Mm. Um, but I also hope that they will ask the second question, which is how long do I think I'm going to be in this place? And mm. um, if you're going to be in a market, you suspect for less than one year, it, it doesn't really make sense to invest. Mm. If you expect to keep a presence in the market for more than one year, for sure. And ideally for the, the technical um, answer is usually three to four years. Um, oh, then, then I think you should not just invest in real estate, but plan to buy a piece of real estate every year when you live, mm. not when you're younger. So the most um, like advantageous, fastest way to buy real estate with the least amount of money, especially mm. in the United States, is mm. that you can put 5% down when you live in a place yourself. Um, you can then rent out a portion of it to a roommate. You can move out of it in a year and rent the second portion to a second roommate and you can do it all over again. So you can kind of like rinse and repeat with the same amount of capital that would it take you to buy one piece of real estate in four yeah. years, you can own four pieces of real estate. And so there are multiplier effects when you have renters and when you live in the properties that, um, yourself mm -hmm. and you have the best opportunity to do that with more rapid moving when you're in your twenties. Right. Yes. Uh, when you're in your 30s, my, I'm, I'm always thinking, um, hey, there are other tax code advantages of living in a property, of selling a property that you've lived in. So I always you know, talk to my husband. I'm like, we could move again this year. My <laughs> husband doesn't want to move. I don't really want to move either, to be honest. Right. Like we like our house. And yes. so when you start to settle into something, um, it reduces the possibilities um, of the, the flexibility of doing that. And then mm -hmm. our general focus is that you're you're one of two kind of buyers of okay. real estate. One is that you're the kind who will buy real estate that you live in and you will generate personal equity from that real estate. You will pay into it and the market over time, potentially through inflation or other means, will appreciate. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, Warren Buffett, that's that's him. He has one house. And he <laughs> bought one house and he has lived in it and that house has made money. Okay. And what he has done has done, he's done absolutely nothing else in real estate because he's focused his entire career on other things. The second type of investor is a real estate investor. And so they are the type who lives in a home, but focuses on building a portfolio over time um, that, that they're planning to uh, build. And, and our recommendation for that is that uh, two houses are worse than one. Four houses are better than one. Six houses ah. are better than four. And so two houses feel like not enough money and a whole lot of headache, right? Mm -hmm. um, two yes. rental properties feel like that. But four feels like it starts to be real income and it starts to be real appreciation. And so the multiplier of owning more properties, the learnings that you have right now, we have people who come to us to rent. Mm -hmm. We have 30 rental properties, just residential rental properties, um, so, so the multiplier effect of being known in a market as somebody who um, rents, of having efficiencies of your systems, efficiencies of staffing, um, uh, you know, the knowledge base that comes to help bring down your costs over time, um, that, that is a huge advantage that a lot of people, I think, don't understand. So if you're going to buy one and you're planning to hold it, plan to buy four. Like, um, because then your first one is, is less of the only, it's, it's less of a lottery ticket and it's more right. of an investment in a course. Right. And, mm. and so you think about it really differently. So, um, I would say invest in real estate when you have renters who can, um, help defray the cost, invest when you're going to be somewhere for more than a year and just go for it. Um, you're, you may 
lose a little bit of money, but you probably won't. You can hold the house for as long as you want to, as long as you can rent it out for more than you um, are paying on it with the mortgage taxes and insurance. And what you're going to gain in terms of the learnings is going to be a lifetime wealth lesson. So, um, you know, I, I'm really, really grateful that we began to invest in real estate, um, that we, we, we started when we couldn't have gone wrong. Now, in retrospect, mm. we started in 2010. Um, oh, wow. But even today, we're doing pretty active deal flow. So um, I think that there are uh, opportunities for wealth building in real estate that don't exist in other places. It is not our mm -hmm. only form of wealth building. It's not even our highest return form. It is our most tax advantaged form. And it's a great, mm -hmm. great, great um, asset class to be a part of for a lot of other reasons. Mm -hmm. Yes, no, for sure. I guess one follow up to that would be, sure. does your advice change at all for young people who are going into these um, cities like New York or San Francisco? You know, does that change the, the strategy at all? So again, right, it's a, it's just a different number if you're thinking about living alone versus if you're mm -hmm. thinking about sharing an apartment with with four people, have the three people pay you instead of all of you paying somebody else. Um, so no, like New York, San Francisco, buy a place and defray the cost with your roommates. Like I would recommend that every day of the week. I, I just, and owning a $700,000 apartment in New York City, right? If a bank's going to give you the money for it and you can pay the bills on it. I'm not talking yeah. about like pouring a ton of money into it. I'm saying you borrow some percentage of it um, and, and go, you know, um, into the market. New York is a little different than San Francisco just because of the way that a lot of the buildings are owned in co-ops and condos and other things. Um, and so there's some limitations to how you can buy and what you have to put down that are a little different than in other places. Um, if you ask me about Atlanta or Miami or Houston, like I can't really, I, it's, it's hard for me to justify that. Or if you want to live alone, right? So, so your, your, your house is always meant to serve what you need. If you're not into living with a bunch of roommates, then yes, my advice does change. Or mm -hmm. if some of those requirements to save a lot to put down on something are just yeah. like an unreasonable barrier to your the rest of your life, sure. Don't don't worry about it. You're going to buy a property at some point, but um, I do think that people generally wait longer than they could, um, mm. not necessarily than they should, but longer than they could. They don't recognize when the opportunity is available to them, and that's what I want you to do: is to take a look at the opportunity and then make a fully informed choice about whether you buy or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, such such great points of consideration. Uh, so I know we're coming up on time now. Um, I want to just ask one last question, uh, a bit more abstract. Looking back, um, what would you have, what would have been your optimal philosophy on money in terms of enjoying versus saving in your 20s? <laughs> I love this. Well, I think everybody needs a saving system in mm. your 20s. But I actually think I over-focused on how much I saved. Um, and so let me tell you about like a mistake that I made that kind of brought this to light. So when I left Bain and started my entrepreneurial journey, I stopped investing in my Roth IRA. Um, but, and I, so I had like a saving system set up when I was at Bain. It was like, say, you know, I was saving the maximum into my um, 401k at Bain. And I was like putting money into my Roth and I had some like extra saving and I, I had like a saving system. When I went into entrepreneurship, I didn't keep my saving system because I didn't, I wasn't like making 
in terms of revenue, the same amount of money, right? Um, what I should have done is kept the saving system and changed the dollar amounts. And right. that, and that would have given me a pretty significant advantage. I, I could have saved, I could have put money into my Roth out of my savings. Like I didn't uh-huh. have to make it the same way that I did before. So in transitions, I let my systems go. And what I should have done is just scale the numbers to what my numbers were at the time, because um, people with incremental saving systems, I think, build a system for saving over your life that is really, really powerful. But I think it's also important. Like, I remember talking to this one guy at Bain. He had he kept four hundred thousand dollars in cash at all times. (laughs) And I was like, bro, right? What, what are you doing with this money? He was like, I just, I just never know when I'm going to need it. Like, I I was like, have you ever thought about like what it would actually take for you to spend $400,000? Like what kind of emergency would that be? And so, so um, the other thing that I did that I think was really helpful, I started doing this in my twenties and it really um, helped me in my thirties was I started to be really realistic about what my downside scenarios were. Like if I had zero revenue for this long, how much do I actually need? Um, if I had, uh, and and like if I have, um, right, you know, this much loss because of a tenant, for example, in a real estate property that doesn't pay, like how much right. do I have to have saved in order to do that? Mm-hmm. And then I would just, I would em- embrace the fact that the worst case scenario could happen, but I, I set a stop for myself at the bottom of that, right? So mm. if the number was 10 or $12,000, like that was what I kept. I didn't keep a $400,000 balance. And, yes. and that gave me the freedom mm. to do more with my money, to invest it in real estate, to buy a business, to build, a, you know, a life and to travel, you know, to do things that I, you have an extraordinary opportunity in time that you don't have later in your life to just go do some things. Um, and so I don't think you should save at all, but I do think you should have a saving systems, a, a system. And I think you should reflect on that system annually because I think that's a really helpful tool to set you up for the rest of your life. Amazing. Well, this has been so great. I, I've learned so much uh, throughout just the past 30 minutes of our conversation. And it's amazing to me that you're able to share all of this information for free over the internet to, you know, everyone across the world who would like to access it. So Jay, thank I've you so much. Ask you again, a question. I would put you on yes. the spot. <laughs> okay. um, so, so what's one thing out of the conversation today that you feel like you'll take that may change the way that you thought about something? Just curious Ooh. what your reflection would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say honestly, most tactically, the the real estate idea of um, kind of hopping from house to house and then mm-hmm. being able to get not just a one bedroom, but like a two bedroom and then having them split with you. I think that's definitely the most tactical advice I'm, I'm going to take away. But overall, just I think it's there's so many uh, abstract philosophical concepts that we've touched on that also are going to influence my decision making for the future. I love it. Well, I'll make this invitation to you, Jay. I make it to everybody. And so few people take me up on it that it really doesn't overwhelm me. But um, if you're moving to a city and you are like, hey, I'm thinking about buying this property or this one or not buying, um, send me the link. I'll take a look at it and I'll I'll give you some advice. Um, I I never I didn't have anybody to do that for me. And I would really love to do that. Um, The same thing holds true if you're thinking about buying or starting a business. I really like Mm -hmm. to do just kind of a like, you know, two minute 
high level, like I would buy this or I wouldn't. And here's why. Um, and then we, we, you know, we can always do more than that, but just as an open invitation to everyone that's listening, if you want some advice from somebody and you don't have somebody in your network who can provide it for you, I'd love to be that person. Again, Jenny, thank you so much for all your time. Uh, the insights that I've got from Strategy Simplified over my university career has been instrumental in my own personal recruiting journey. And I really cannot thank you and the organization enough. Um, it was so great chatting with you. Uh, really appreciate the time. And yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening to this uh, fun episode. Jay was the one who reached out and made it all happen. So if you're interested in guest hosting on Strategy Simplified, just reach out, team at managementconsulted.com. In addition, if you represent a firm, a new hire, or somebody who's in the consulting field that wants to connect around the new cohort that we're running, for this entry into consulting, we would really, really love to hear your thoughts. Again, you can reach out at that same email, team at managementconsulted.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a review, and of course, share with a friend. Thanks so much for joining.